Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are taking a little bit of a break from the book of Judges, our study through the book of Judges, which has been just a great study, uh, such an enjoyable time going through the Old Testament, seeing the grace of God on full display in uh, amazing, miraculous ways. So we'll pick that back up next Sunday in Judges chapter 7, but I wanted to take some time this morning, five years as a church, to celebrate, to thank the Lord, and to do so uh, by going to this passage in Matthew chapter 6 uh, that details prayer. And really, we sang so many prayers that come from the Lord's Prayer. Um, we, we celebrated last night just basking in, in the glow of the glory of God on display in what He has done in our church. And we cried out to Him, asking Him to do more, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. That's why we gave out this little prayer book Uh, Because we want to make sure that this year, moving into our sixth year together, that we pray more than we ever have as a church, corporately, together, individually, as families, as small groups, in our worship service. That's why in our small group on Wednesday night, we just start with prayer requests, follow up from last week, move it into the next week, and just spend time praying. That's what the apostles devoted themselves to, what all the believers devoted themselves to prayer and to the teaching of the Word. And that's what we want to do. We want to give ourselves to prayer. And there are so many amazing prayers in the Bible. The Bible is filled with so many amazing prayers. That's why we want to pray the scriptures. That's why we gave out that book a couple years ago, Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. I think it's back in our book cart. Praying the Bible. We pray the scriptures together. We read the Bible. We read prayers. We pray God's thoughts back to him. We read, we pray, we read, we pray. The prayers of the Bible are just amazing. Let me just give you a couple. I love the prayers of Paul. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere, blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Jesus, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
I love the prayer of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for, all, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love the prayer of Jesus in John 17. We studied that a couple months ago as we were going through the gospel of John. I love his great high priestly prayer for us. I love the whole book of Psalms, which is just a bunch of prayers set to music. It's the prayer book of the church with such a range of emotions, desperation, joy. And I love the Lord's Prayer. I love the Lord's Prayer. You, you probably could recite it from memory. Should we, should we try it? Right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, though not in the original manuscript, tacked on later because of other things in the Bible, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love this prayer I love this prayer because it is so true to real life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Huge, magnificent things. And then I, I just need bread. Just mundane, daily necessities. I need, I need bread. I, I don't want to harbor bitterness in my heart. I, I, I just need deliverance. I don't want to sin anymore. And that's really where we find ourselves in, li in life. There are many moments in life where there's great, glorious things happening, where we see God miraculously working on display, and then there's moments that just seem mundane. What, what's going on? What's happening? Is anything truly amazing happening? Life is a combination of everything we see in the Lord's Prayer. Life is filled with spectacular moments and simple moments. Life is filled with uh, exotic moments and just everyday moments. Life is filled with these beautiful extremes. And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer this morning, we're going to see those extremes on display. There's six petitions in the Lord's Prayer that you could really break it up into three and three because there's three high and lofty uh, petitions. There's the petitions of hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done. And then there's three very earthly, mundane petitions. I just need bread. I need relational stability here. I need to be able to forgive. And I need to be delivered from evil. I hate to sin. I don't want to sin today. They're, they're all in uh, request format. It seems like some of them are just acclamations. Let this happen or this is who you are. But it's really in a, a, what's called a third-person imperative. Let your kingdom come. It's a request. It's a soft request. It's a command, actually. It's an imperative. It's a soft imperative. We're careful as we're saying, God, do this. But we're saying, God, do this. Make this happen. It's the exact same format that's used by Peter on Pentecost when they say, what should we do to be saved? And he says, let every one of you repent and be baptized. That's a command. Repent and be baptized. But if it's what you will do, do it. 
They're personal requests. Give, give us this bread for today. Global requests on earth. Let these things happen to me and let these things happen in the world. The first three petitions are about God. Let his name be hallowed. Let his kingdom come. Let his will be done. The next three requests are about us. I need bread. I need forgiveness. I need to be able to forgive. I don't want to sin. If you're anything like me, you struggle with prayer. And you tend to think, I don't know if you guys have thought this before, about things that God commands us. How could something so hard, something I'm so bad at, be God's will for my life? Like, I'm so bad at this. The blessing is we see the disciples saying, hey, we're bad at this, we don't know what to do. And they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus says, I'll gladly teach you. And if the disciples need to be taught how to pray, we need to be taught how to pray. So we're going to let Jesus teach us this morning how we are to pray. Let's pick it up starting in verse 5, and we'll read all the way down to verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, their reward is in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we come before you and we ask that these words of Jesus would ring true in our hearts this morning. Jesus, we want to listen carefully to your words in such a way that they would resonate in our souls and change us. Father, you know the needs. Just as we read, you know the needs of each and every one of us before we even ask. So I bring these needs to you that you know. You know each and every soul in this room and what they need. Some need encouragement. Some need comfort. Some need confrontation. Some need compassion. Some need to repent and believe the gospel. You know every need, and this prayer identifies all of these needs. You know the extraordinary things that are, we're going through and the ordinary things of our lives. So Holy Spirit, we pray as we pray every Sunday that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Change us from the inside out. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Starting in verse 5, you will notice that Jesus does not give us if you are praying, but when you pray. This is a command. You're going to pray. You have to pray. You should pray. But Jesus is a great teacher, so as he's teaching, he's going to give us examples. He's going to give us two examples of what not to do, and then one example of what to do. Two examples of what not to do, one example of what to do. And so we can kind of take them in that order. First, an example of what not to do. As we're praying, verses 5 through 6, we could just say it this way. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be hypocritical. 
Jesus says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Don't be hypocritical. Why? What do they do? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you don't be like that. So is Jesus saying, as some people have said that he is saying, that you're never supposed to stand while you're praying? They stand and pray in the synagogues. I don't think this has anything to do with the posture, whether you're standing, whether you're sitting down, whether you're kneeling down. I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to here. I also don't think, some people say, well, you should only pray when you feel like praying because then you're not being hypocritical because if you pray when you don't feel like praying, that's hypocrisy. No, that's called maturity. To pray and go through the discipline when you don't feel like praying, that's called obedience and maturity. That's not hypocrisy. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying you can never pray more than you feel like praying. I mean, honestly, I think one of the reasons why we pray so little is because we only pray when we feel like praying. Jesus isn't saying that. The key to what he's saying is prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a performance. Don't go stand in front of people wanting to be seen by them. Don't say things wanting to be noticed by people. So no, you don't always have to pray in your inner room, verse 6. You have to pray with the idea of praying in an inner room. It's just you and God. Uh, What we do on Sunday mornings, that's not disobedient to God's word of having our brother Jeff come and pray for us as a church, praying God's thoughts back to him. There's commands in the scriptures to do that, to pray publicly and to read scripture publicly. So what Jesus is saying is don't let prayer be a performance. The second thing that he's going to say is don't be babblers. So don't be hypocritical. And then the second negative example is don't be babblers. Don't be babblers. This is why he says in verse 7, when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition. That's one word, meaningless repetition. One word in the Greek, batalageto. Uh, it's one of those kind of onomatopoetic words where it sounds like what it's supposed to be saying. Just meaningless repetition. Just ongoing batalageto, Just ongoing. I don't know if you have this experience. This is one of the most frightening experiences in my life. Tell me if you've had this. You get in your car, you turn on your car, you put your phone on the little magnet thing, plug in the music, figure out what you want to listen to on Spotify, figure out the temperature, look in the rearview mirror, drive, and the next thing you know, you're where you're supposed to be. And you think, what, how many lights did I pass through? Where, did I ever, did I turn? Did I, have you had this moment where you I totally forgot driving from point A to point B. It's just so natural in your mind that you don't even remember that happening. That's terrifying to me. And prayer is exactly like that, where sometimes you say, dear Lord, and then before you know it, you're saying amen, going, what did I even say? I don't remember what I said. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. Don't babble in your prayers. Many words do not make prayers effective. God's not impressed by large words or by many words. God doesn't sit in heaven, and when you start using rich theological terms, he goes, ooh, we got to bless that one. God's not doing that. God's not doing that. Simple prayers. Those are actually the prayers in the, in the Bible that God explicitly blesses. Remember Luke uh, chapter 18? The Pharisee prays, standing in the synagogue, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy, and 
goes on and on and on and on and on. And the tax collector's in the corner, can't even raise his eyes up to heaven. And all he says is, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And that guy goes away justified. Simple prayers. Prayers that come from a beggar's heart. Martin Luther's dying words as he closed his eyes in this life and opened his eyes in the next were, we are beggars, this is true. We're beggars, that's all we are, begging for God to work. So Jesus says, don't have meaningless repetition, supposing that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't need a lot of words to make God uh, kind of prick his ears up and say, okay, I'll, I'll give attention to this. You can't catch him by surprise. He knows what you need before you ask it. And so we pray, not because God needs us to pray, but because we need him. We need him. So Jesus starts with, don't be hypocritical and don't be babblers. Prayer is a constant reminder of our dependence upon God and on God's provision. Prayerlessness, therefore, is true unbelief. To not pray is to not believe that you're dependent upon God and to not believe that God's going to provide. Maybe you believe you're dependent upon God, but you don't think he's going to act, so you won't pray. Or maybe you don't think you're dependent on God, so you won't pray. If you do not pray, then you don't believe either that you're truly dependent or that you know confidently God's going to bring help. So God isn't impressed by many words or phrases. God isn't impressed by babbling or being hypocritical or performance. Prayer is not a form of creative self-expression. Prayer isn't an act of therapy. Prayer isn't an act of manipulation or persuasion. Prayer is not an act of negotiating with God. Prayer is not informing God of what he doesn't know. So then how should we pray? How should we pray? He says in verse 9, pray then in this way. This is the model. This is the way we're supposed to pray. So we have two negative examples. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be babblers. And now the Lord's Prayer, what we are to do in our prayer. Some have said that this is the disciples' prayer because this was given to them to pray. Jesus can't pray this prayer because he doesn't have uh, debts that need to be forgiven. Um, I get that, but it's the Lord's Prayer because he's the one giving the model. So it is the Lord's Prayer and it's the disciples' prayer. So we'll just take it line by line. We're going to go through this in one sermon. Literally, we could do a sermon for every petition. And that actually might be something that we do this summer because you can drill down deep into these petitions. But I just want to see an overview as we get encouragement from our Savior on how to pray. So, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. Notice number one, our Father, not my Father. This is not an individual prayer. This is not you praying by yourself. This is corporately. I love this prayer because I know when I'm praying this prayer, I'm praying a prayer that countless saints have prayed before me. This is a prayer that has been echoing through generations and thousands of years. Our Father, He's our Father. Even in heaven right now, they're praying the same thing. Let your will on earth be done. Let your kingdom come now. Our Father. It's not individualism, it's unified together. That's why praying together shapes the church into a unified body. Our Father. When we pray that, we're not alone. Our Father. Father. How can anybody go up to somebody and say, Hey, Dad. It's an easy question, right? How can anybody do that? 
Either you were born into that family or you were adopted into that family. Those are the only two ways that you can come up and say, hey, Dad, uh, if, if my kids just ran up here and ran into Ben and said, hey, Dad, Ben would go, uh, you guys got to get your eyes checked out because I'm not your father. You're either born into the family or you're adopted into the family. And we know biblically that we were born in sin, not into the family of God. Therefore, if we pray our father, we can only pray that prayer if we've been adopted into the family of God, if we're believers. Non-believers can't pray this prayer. John chapter 8, verse 42, if God were your father, Jesus said, then you would love me, but God's not your father. Jesus removed the wrath of God as our judge so that we could be adopted by him as our father. Carl Henry said it this way, God loves us so much that he forfeited his own privacy to reveal himself to us sinful creatures so that we could know him, intimately know him. Our father, we've been adopted. You're talking to your dad when you're talking to God. Now, this is hard for some of us. Most of us have not had a good picture from our earthly fathers of what it looks like to be able to cling to somebody in a way that we're supposed to cling to God our Father. But that's the beauty of this line. Our Father, who is where? He's in heaven. That means he's perfect. He's your perfect Father. He's not like our earthly fathers, and even the best of our earthly fathers, which some of us have amazing earthly fathers. Even the best of our earthly fathers will fall short. They will fail us, but God never fails us. Our Father. How do you come before God? Um, I, I love this idea of God being our Father. And it's not an analogy. God is like our Father. Our, our God, who is like our Father? No, it's God is our Father. This is true about Him. How, how do kids interact with their fathers? Um, you, you'll see it as you do every Sunday when our kids come running back in. Usually, the first thing that they want to do is find where their dads are and run up to them, give them a big hug. And our, our kids, those of you who, who have little kids, Sergio can attest to this, uh, Trevor can attest, some of the, our kids think insane things about us, right? They just think the, the coolest, most insane things. Like, my, I've heard my son say, my dad is the strongest person in the world. I've heard him say that. And I've never corrected him on that, because <laughs> let's, let's let that one go as long as it can. But our, I, our, our kids are enamored by us as fathers, right? They just want to jump in our laps. Dad, will you wrestle with me? Dad, will you play with me? Dad, can you sing? Can you do whatever it is? They love us. That's why when we are singing songs with our kids, we sing songs that are emulating this relational capacity that we have with one another. We sing songs like, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's what we're doing. Yes, you have to finish it up. That's what we're doing with our kids. We're saying, do you realize your father is so big, so strong? Just as my kids will say, my dad is the strongest person in the world. We're helping our kids to see, no, 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 God's the strongest person in the world. We're helping them to see that. And the beautiful thing is that song will always be true, right? God will always be strong. My kids might sing that song of me now. My dad's the strongest person in the world. But just give it 10, 13 more years. 
Teenage years is going to be a different song. My dad is so dumb, so, so stupid and dumb. Pretty much everything he can't do. So, but with God, it's always the same. It's always the same. We have the ability to say, our Father, only because of Jesus. And notice the beauty, again, of, of the high and lofty. He's in heaven, but the earthly and mundane, he's our Father. Tender, lofty, tender, lowly. You could remember it, this beautiful line, our Father who is in heaven. You can remember it in just the acronym CIA, community, intimacy, and authority. We have community when we pray this prayer, our Father. We have intimacy because this is a relationship with our Father, and He has all authority because He's in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. The next line, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, what does hallowed mean? Literally, it's the word for sanctified. Holy be your name. Set apart, regarded as holy. Now, this is an interesting prayer to pray because the demons regard God as holy. Uh, Mark chapter 1, we said it in our small groups. They say, you are the Holy One of Israel. We know who you are. You're holy. So the demons know God is holy, and this prayer cannot be prayed by the demons. So what are we asking in this prayer? We're asking that God's holiness be esteemed, honored, cherished, revered, valued. We're not saying, God, we're going to add glory to you, add holiness to you. God doesn't need anything from us. Holiness is who he is. Glory is who he is. This is us saying, God, we want your holiness and your glory to be more visible in the earth. Your name is glorified. Your name is hallowed. But on earth, we want it to be seen. It's not seen by everybody. If you have kids that ever practice and get ready to do something, uh, and, and then they go and they execute whatever they're supposed to be doing. They go and they perform in some little league championship or they perform in something and they've been practicing and they're amazing, like a spelling bee or, or memorizing something. They're amazing in practice. And then they go and they just mess up on game day. I don't know if you've felt this before. And I, I've felt this with my kids where I just want to stand up for the whole world, pause time and tell everybody, that's not what they're really like. I've seen them do this before. And every single time, they do this amazingly. And they just messed up here, but this isn't what they're really like. I want you to know what my kids are really like. That's what this prayer is. Everybody in the world sees God, and they think of him in some way, shape, or form. And we're just going out into the world saying, I want you to know what my dad's really like. I want you to know, you think of him a certain way. One of my favorite conversations when I'm sharing the gospel with people is when they say, oh, I don't believe in God. And I say, why don't you believe in God? And they say, because God's this murdering, evil tyrant of a person. I go, yeah, I don't believe in God either. I don't believe in that God. And that's not the God of the Bible. And I want to introduce you to my God, to the one true God, to my dad. I love being able to say, that's not the God I believe in, and that's not the God of the Bible. Let me introduce you to the one true God. I want to show you who God's really like. That's what we're saying. Hallowed be your name. Let his holiness and his glory be put on display. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. There's a big issue here, obviously, of the kingdom. Is it now? Is it later? We can just say yes to both of that. Jesus said his kingdom's breaking in now, and he'll establish it later. I think it's really answered in the next request. Your will be done. Your rule come now and your will of your rule happen in every human heart. Your kingdom come. 
We're not to the completion of the rule happening in every human heart. So we're praying, God, bring your rule. Bring your kingdom. Bring your dominion. Bring your domain here. This is, interestingly enough, this is the last prayer in the Bible. You remember the last prayer in the Bible? The Apostle John says one word, Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Please come back. That's this prayer. Bring your kingdom. Bring your rule. Establish your domain. It begs the question, do we really want his rule? Do we say, bring your kingdom, bring your rule, but I don't want to keep all of your rules. Know this with certainty. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. If you're anything like me, you look around at the world and you tend to think that God's kingdom is going and man's kingdom is coming. Looks like man's kingdom is breaking through, even into pockets of Christianity in the world and destroying Christianity. It seems like God's kingdom is shrinking and sinful man's kingdom is growing. But know this with certainty. This prayer is being answered and will ultimately be answered. There is a kingdom that's going and there is a kingdom that's coming. And it's God's kingdom that's coming. And it's man's terrible, earthly, sandcastle kingdom that's going to be demolished by God's glory. So whose kingdom are you a part of? We need to pray this prayer. Bring your kingdom now, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. We talked about this last week with Gideon. You need to have the word of God to know the will of God. And since we have the word of God, we know the will of God. And what we're saying is, let your will be done on earth the way it's being done in heaven. Does an angel in heaven, when God gives a command, does an angel say, um, I don't know if that's the best idea. Uh, God, can we talk about this first? No. When God gives a command in heaven, an angel does it instantly. Is that happening here on earth? No. Let me ask this question. Where should that be happening here on earth? That should be happening in the church. When God speaks, we obey. And we should be a picture to the world of this as answered prayer. Your will be done in the way that it's being done in heaven. Let's do it here in the church and show the world the blessings of obedience. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So we move from the three petitions, high and lofty, exalted, to three lowly petitions. Cast all your cares on him, right? Even the mundane requests. Cast them all. Don't be too embarrassed to ask God for necessities in life. That's one of the things that this line teaches us. Please, we need bread. We we don't really know our dependence upon bread because I don't think that if you go to Albertsons and you go down the bread aisle, number one, I don't think the bread's going to be all gone. But number two, if the bread's all gone, I don't think we fall down on our knees and go, oh, we need bread. I don't think we're doing that. We just go to the next store. So we don't really know what this looks like. But if I can give you a picture of this prayer in Psalm chapter th- or Proverbs chapter 30, we've gone to this prayer a couple times, so many of you are familiar with it. I love this prayer so much. Psalm, or Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. Starting in verse 7, two things I've asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Just give me my portion, enough for me to eat today, that I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Don't, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Can we honestly assess this question? How many of you, myself included, 
have prayed the prayer, God, don't make me rich. That's a very countercultural prayer. God, don't make me rich. That's what he's praying. Don't make me rich. I want to be in a place where I'm dependent upon you. Please don't give me poverty, but give me a, a place in life where I'm dependent upon you. God is asking us in this petition to ask him for what we need today. Don't live out the future before it gets to you. You have bread for today. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. God will give you bread for today. You don't have to store up bread for tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. It's said twice. Give us today, this day, our daily bread. This tells us God's going to answer our needs, but not our greeds. He's going to take care of what we need. But if we're saying, give us bread for the next 20 years. No, that's not going to happen. But even daily bread won't keep us alive forever, and that's why we need to feast on the bread of life. We are going to die, even with daily bread, but with the bread of life we will live forever. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. This gets turned into a weird works religion of if you forgive, then God forgives you. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying if you have been forgiven by God, then you are necessarily going to forgive others. You're going to do that. This is the parable in Matthew 18. Remember the man who owes so much and the king forgives him of the debt and then he goes out and he says to the one guy, hey, you owe a couple hundred bucks, you pay now or else I'm sending you to debtor's prison. If you don't forgive others, you're demonstrating that you have never really been forgiven. If that's a pattern of your life, you're demonstrating that you've never really been forgiven yourself. Honestly, what would God's forgiveness of you look like if he truly forgave you in the same way that you forgive others? Think of how you forgive others and think of this request. Forgive me, God, the way I'm forgiving others. What this request is saying is hold me accountable to the forgiveness that you've given to me so that I'd forgive others that way. I'm going to live out the forgiveness I've been given. Just think if if Tim came up after the service today and said, Patrick, I'm going to just write a check to pay off your mortgage. Just all of it gone. I would be so elated. You would hear a scream that you would not think was made by a human. Maybe a couple kids together join. I would just be so blown away. And let's say I take the check, I go downstairs, get in the car, get ready to drive away. And as I'm driving away, I I run into Micah. And I say, hey, man, remember the, the hot and ready little Caesars that I picked up for you? Five bucks. Where's my five bucks? Give me my $5. Come on. That would be so pointless. And imagine if Tim heard me say that to Micah. Well, I, just, I just paid your mortgage. You could at least let five bucks go. What God is saying is we must forgive others the way that we've been forgiven. And in that cycle of understanding how we've been forgiven by God, we're going to forgive others that way. And so we're saying, God, please forgive us freely yet again. We need forgiveness. We have relational needs. We need forgiveness. And we have spiritual needs. Deliver us from evil. Literally, it's deliver us from the evil one. Shepherd us away from temptation. We know that God will never tempt us. James chapter 1, God can't tempt us. That's a question that I love to ask in my Uh, classroom, I always ask the question, can God do anything? And everybody goes, well, of course, he's God. And I go, you're dead wrong. He can't do anything. And praise God, he can't do anything. He can't lie. He can't sin. He can't tempt you. 
he can do anything. You have to qualify it. You have to be very precise with language of theology, and our God is a very precise God, so it's good to be precise. He can do anything that's inside of his nature to do. He can. He is omnipotent inside of his nature. But he can't sin, and he cannot tempt you. You don't ever have to wonder. That's why James says that. If you're ever wondering, man, I'm going through so many temptations right now, and maybe, God, you're a part of this, you can know with confident assurance God will never tempt you because he can't, and he can't be tempted by sin himself. So what does that mean? God allows us to go through tests. God allows us to go through temptations. The tests are active on his part. He actively pushes us through tests. But temptations are from Satan. So what we're asking God in this prayer, deliver us. Don't let the test that you're allowing lead us into temptation that we fall into. Don't allow the tests that you're allowing us to go through be something that turns into an ensnaring temptation. We're saying, God, in every test, help us and deliver us from it becoming something that trips us up. And if I can challenge you, brothers and sisters, if we are not praying this prayer, deliver us from the evil one, we either do not know the devil or we do not know ourselves. If we're, if we're not praying this prayer, we do not know the power of the devil and we do not know ourselves. We overestimate our own power. God is saying, these are the real needs that you have. Uh, daily bread, relational forgiveness, deliverance from temptation. We pray in different models. You guys know the Acts prayer, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. There's a three R model that goes around for reading scripture and for praying. Rejoice, repent, request. Rejoice in who God is. Repent for what you've done and request. I think the Lord's Prayer gives us another threefold formula for praying, a model. Remember who you're talking to, our Father who is in heaven, whose name is going to be hallowed. Remember who you're talking to. Remember what really matters. Daily bread, relational forgiveness, um, deliverance from sin and evil. And remember what we really need. What, what do we really need deep down inside? We need God's glory to be seen and savored in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So remember who you're talking to. Remember what really matters, God's glory and what we really need. So how do we wrap all this up? We have a structure. I think that there's a great structure in this prayer, three and three, right? Three lofty uh, petitions. Uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three mundane petitions. Daily bread, forgiveness, deliverance. But honestly, I, I don't think that's the best way to outline this. I think the best way to outline these six petitions is one and five. Not three and three. One and five. The first request is lived out by all the other requests. The first request his kingdom comes for the hallowing of his name. His will be done for the hallowing of his name. The first request of hallowed be your name, glorified in all the earth. We want your glory to be seen. That request is done by the other requests. Forgiveness happens for God's hallowing. Our holiness happens for the glorification of God in our lives. You never hallow God for something else. The hallowing of God, the glorifying of God is the termination of everything that we should be doing. 
Sooner or later, we run into pressures, problems, mundane issues that happen that become overwhelming. We have physical problems. We need bread. We have relational problems. We need forgiveness. We have moral problems. We need deliverance. And you have a father who knows and who cares about all of those things. But sometimes, and this is my encouragement to us, sometimes we allow our requests to kind of shrink down into those three petitions at the bottom. How often have you had a, a prayer request time in a church circle or a small group study where, what do you need prayer for? Well, my dog, Fufu, uh, is sick, and uh, my aunt, Edna, is sad, and, and you just kind of go around. Does God care about those things? Absolutely. And you shouldn't not pray for those things. Keep praying for those things. But I think sometimes we allow our souls to shrink down into those bottom three petitions where that's all we're focusing on. And we forget it's not three and three, it's one and five. Everything down here needs to expand up to everything that I'm doing is to glorify God. Everything I'm doing is to hallow his name. Everything I'm doing. So God, yes, if it be your will, please heal my dog, but do it because I want to see God glorified. And if God's not going to be glorified in healing, I want to see God's glory in whatever else he's going to do. God's glory is the issue. God has made you and me to be a part of something so much bigger and so much more magnificent than just the mundane issues. Don't stop praying for the mundane issues. But what I'm asking for us is to not lose grip on the high and lofty, hallowed be your name. If we lose grip on that, we lose what I've heard a pastor say is spiritual equilibrium. We start to kind of get stuck, the ballast in our boat, when life goes sideways and we get tossed in the waves, we lose that steady anchor if hallowed be your name is not the banner that's flying across our lives. And so I want to just beg us as a church, starting with myself, starting with our leadership, I want to beg us as a church, be brought up. Yes, Enjoy those three mundane prayer requests, but be brought up into the high and lofty exaltation of Christ's name. We want God to be exalted and glorified. And so let every request that we pray come under that and be prayed for that. That's why we're a church plant. We are a church for that. We set up chairs for the hallowing of God's name. We do evangelism for the hallowing of God's name. We minister in mercy for the hallowing of God's name. We encourage each other in love and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice for the hallowing of God's name. Everything that we do, we do so that God's name would be glorified. And ultimately, every single prayer request inside of the Lord's Prayer for the purpose of hallowing God's name is accomplished at the cross. And so that's why we as a church are focused and centered and Lord willing will never stray from magnifying God's glory, giving people a passion, letting them see a passion for God's glory above all things and shepherding them to value that above everything in this world. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for five years of the blessing of being able to live out this prayer request. And we want to do it faithfully for the next five years, for the next 10 years, for the next 20 years. We want to be faithful to live out this prayer request. You are hallowed, you are holy, and we want to join in with all creation, join in with all of heaven, and rejoice in your precious glory being revealed. So may we do that even now as we sing and confirm these truths to our heart. 
So we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and, and just affirm everything we've been saying. Oh.